Amen, amen. Hey, if you would, grab your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, somewhere nearby you, in front of you, you'll see a Bible in a chair. Go ahead and grab that, because I want you to have God's Word in front of you. Uh, when we preach, we're proclaiming the very Word of God, and it's so important that you see it with your own eyes. And so get it on a phone or grab one of those Bibles. Um, hey, one of the things that I always love to see is when uh, young kids are imitating their parents. And so whether it's a, a young boy, like, shaving with dad or or a, a, a daughter putting on makeup with mom, or all of us have driven by the houses where you got the kid with the little tight mower, right, following dad or mom with uh, the real mower, and there's something, an, an inherent of a, a young kid, a young son, a young daughter mimicking or imitating their mom or their dad. And now, the next time you see this happen, uh, learn from it, be instructed by it, because uh, as we turn to Ephesians chapter Chapter 5, the very first verse, Ephesians 5, verse 1, tells us this. Therefore, be imitators of who? Therefore, be imitators of God. That all of us in this room today are to imitate our Heavenly Father in how we live. And then uh, this beautiful uh, end of this verse in which it says, as beloved, as beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so, uh, Pastor Brian, last week, as we walked through Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we were commanded from Scripture to uh, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, that we're to put off the old ways, those before Christ's ways, we're to be renewed in our mind by the work of the Holy Spirit, and we are to put on these new fruits, so to speak, of walking in this new life with Christ. Uh, we come now to Ephesians 5, and we see this command right here, that we're to be imitators of God as his dearly beloved children. And now if you're like me, uh, uh, we long for some more instruction to go, okay, Paul, what does that look like? That is a high command. That's a high calling to be imitators of God. We just sang of the holiness of God. We know that we can never attain to the perfect holiness of God. But how is it that we grow in imitating the character of who he is? And fortunately for us, in this section of Ephesians, I think we're, we're instructed in some ways of how we are to imitate God. As we come to verse 2, we're going to be instructed to walk in love. As we come to verse 8, we're going to be instructed to walk in the light. And as we come to verse 15, we're going to be instructed to walk in wisdom. And I think Paul is teaching us here a bit of what it means for us to imitate. And so uh, the, the, to today and next week are really a part one and a part two message on what it looks like for us to live as imitators of God. And, and kind of the big idea of these two weeks is this. As God's children, we imitate him as we walk in love, walk in the light, and walk in wisdom. And so today, I, I want to cover kind of the first two parts of that. What does it look like to walk in love? And what does it look like to walk in the light? And then as we come back for part two next Sunday, uh, we're going to spend our time talking about what does it look like to walk in wisdom. And so if I can, let me pray, and then let's God, let God's word do its work. Uh, Father, uh, we, we want to, we really want to live as imitators of you. Oh Lord, we really want to understand that you call us dearly beloved children. And Lord, we know that 
It's the recognition that we are uh, children of you that will lead and prompt our heart to want to imitate you as our good heavenly father. Uh, Lord, uh, there's going to be some convicting things for us in this passage. Uh, God, I pray that uh, your spirit would do that wonderfully comforting yet convicting work that only your spirit does as we walk through your word today. So help us now. Help us to grow in being imitators of you. Help us to understand what it looks like to walk in love. Help us to understand what it looks like to walk in the light. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let's talk about this. What, walking in love. That we're commanded to walk in love. And so Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so uh, Paul's teaching here, one of the ways we imitate our heavenly father is to walk in love. Scripture tells us that God is love. Uh, as we read through uh, books of the Bible like 1 John, uh, the whole book is given to us that we might walk in love, that we might un have an understanding, a growing understanding of the fact that God is love and that as his children were to walk in this. Uh, something I quote often in a number of different sermons is what we see in John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, the word of God tells us this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so uh, all of us know this. Many of us who've grown up in the church, if you have any sort of Bible background at all, you know this command. And yet all of us, right, we feel the gap in this command. We, we know that we have lapses in love. Uh, this weekend, um, we drove down to Louisville with the older two, and uh, we went to the Dude Perfect show in Louisville. Right? Uh, five college buddies playing games, making millions doing it, right? And uh, we're down in this show, and, and Ray, and I'm, if I'm honest, I'm as excited as my boys are about this, right? And as the show's about to start, uh, uh, Trey, our four-year-old, was like, Dad, I'm thirsty. And I'm like, now? And so I get up, and I go, and, and I, uh, I walk up to a concession area where, um, uh, you know, it says there's bottled water on the sign, and you wait in line, and you get to the front. I'm like, hey, I'll have a bottle of water. They're like, oh, we don't have bottled water here. I'm like, what? Okay, all right, it's good. Like, it's, it's good. The sign says bottled water. I didn't say that, okay? So I walk to another, walk to another concession area, and I'm waiting in another line, and I can hear every, the whole show starting in there. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They're introducing Ty right now, and I'm out in the lobby, right? And, and so I finally, uh, I'm, I'm like second in line. I've waited in this line. I'm coming, and a, a couple guys, they walk right in front of me. And, 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 you know, I, I know I'm commanded to walk in love. And I said it lovingly. <laughs> I'm like, hey, the, the line's back there. And I, oh, yeah, whatever. And they went back there. I tried to say it as lovingly as I could. But I'm going to be honest with you. I was lacking some love in my heart. Who do you think you are? Just walking right here in front of us. All of us understand, especially at the heart level, the lapses in love that are just there. But it's so beautiful that we're instructed to, we're to walk in love. 
And now um, we understand the, 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 the power source for us to be able to walk in love is what the rest of chapter 2 unpacks for us. The gospel is the power source for us to actually be able to walk in love because I don't have that kind of power in me. As soon as someone cuts in front of me at a Dude Perfect show, I can lack love. Where does the power come from? We have to remember this. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And how do we know that Christ loved us? He gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The power source I need to always keep my head and my heart focused on walking out love with my life is the fact that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God, traded the splendor and the glory of heaven, and he came down to earth, and he walked a perfect life that you and I have fallen so far short of, and he died uh, the criminal's death that you and I all deserve to die, and that he was laid in a tomb, and that three days later he rose victorious over sin and death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now he invites all of us by faith, by believing in him, into a right standing, a right relationship with a holy God. When I grasp that at the heart level, when I have understood that I have received that kind of love from the Son of God, from God himself, that's what propels and compels us to walk in love. And, and, and so, just a, a simple question, are you walking in love? Is your life dramatically marked by love? Does the love that flows out of you make sense based on the love that Jesus Christ has poured out on you? Does that make sense? The love that's being extended, it's an overflow of the pouring out in which Christ has poured on you. And as I've said before, we all have lapses in love, but, but when you look back five months or even five years or 15 years, do you see growth in this? Do you see yourself giving up of yourself in ways that you were not five months, five years, 15 years ago? Do you see that you are quicker to listen and slower to speak and slower to anger? Do you see that God is growing in you an empathy and a willingness to enter into other people's pain in a way that five months or five years or 15 years ago, you would have blown and just driven right past? Do you see God growing you in this area of walking in love? And so, uh, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. If God is love, the way we imitate is that we walk in love. As Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Are you walking in love?
This isn't the only walk command, though, that we have in this section. Now, we're going to come across this second walk command that we're to walk in the light. And now, as we come to this next paragraph, this paragraph starts in verse 3, it's interesting the way that Paul structures this walking in light reality. The beginning of the paragraph, he's going to actually focus on darkness, That if we're going to be people that walk in the light, we got to be people that are running away from darkness. And he's going to uh, spell out some things for us of what darkness looks like and what we are to be running from as imitators of God. After the first part of that paragraph, in which we're going to focus on getting away from darkness, he's then going to talk about this walking in the light. And so you have kind of the negative, get away from the darkness, and then as the paragraph ends, you have the positive, uh, to walk into light. And so uh, let me start reading this in verse 3. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Uh, That's a heavy couple verses there. And so we need to kind of unpack this in its parts and really understand. And so uh, we're being commanded away from darkness. To walk in the light, it's away from darkness. And the, the first thing I want us to see in this paragraph is this, that there is no hint of dark actions. No hint of dark actions in our life. Look at what verse 3 told us. But sexual immorality and all impurity... Or covetousness. What's it say next? Must not even be what? Must not even be named among you. I mean, I think as Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is trying to pen this in the most powerful way that he can. He doesn't just say like, hey, don't do these things. He's like, these things, like, people shouldn't even be able to like, bring these up as a topic of conversation with those who are followers of Jesus. These things must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. He's saying that the fact that these things can't even be named among us, that's the proper way that Jesus' followers are to live. No sexual immorality. Come on, y'all, none. I, I get it. Probably, if not all of us, almost all of us in this room have shame and struggles in the the past areas of sexual immorality. Some of us in this room are in the middle of a raging war and battle on this topic right here. But the command is that there would be no 
Elsewhere, Paul writes, then not a hint of sexual immorality. And on this topic, it's so important for us to gather on Sunday mornings like this, to just come together and huddle up and say, and let's not base our sexual purity on the standards in which the culture around us bases it. Like we, the, 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 the Greek word here for sexual immorality is porneia. And, and I think we can all spell out where we get the root of some of our English words related to that. We have to be so discerning and so diligent, man, and so vigilant on fleeing from sexual immorality. And I'm fighting for sexual purity. And, and I don't think I even have to spell out the application. We need to focus on it with our hands. We need to focus on it with our eyes. We need to focus on it with our minds. And in all of that, we need to lay ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, help us in this, please. But, but we can't just base, or we can't look around and say, well, other people are watching that show on Netflix. It's probably fine. Just because it's on Netflix and not some adult entertainment site doesn't mean it's not pornea. Just because it's only risen to the level of texting doesn't mean it's not pornea. Sexual immorality. Not even mentioned among us. And now, listen, if you're like, I need help in this area. You know, pastor, hey, thanks. I didn't need the whole, like, don't be sexually immoral sermon. I already know that. If you need help in this area, I'm telling you, please, you don't get the coat. It's 39 degrees this morning. You needed a coat. Okay, don't get the coat. Don't walk out yet. Wait till the end. We want to be a church that comes down into the trenches with you and walks with you through it. But sexual immorality, and then he says, in all impurity, not just sexual immorality, but all impurity, or covetousness, or greed. Uh, this idea of covetousness is... Uh, uh, if, if gratefulness is a heart that is thankful for all that God has given to us, covetousness is, uh, is ultimately a heart of ungratefulness focused on what God hasn't given to you. And, and so if, if you've ever, uh, you know, had a friend or, or, some, or kids or whatever, and you've planned this great day for them, and you've, you've taken them out, and you've done all these fun things, and you let them, you know, you get a toy or whatever, and, and as you're in the car driving home, it's like the only thing you're hearing is the things that they couldn't do or didn't get to do or didn't get to buy. How does that make you feel, right? Now imagine that if, if we have a heart of covetousness, towards the Lord, where we're less grateful for what God has entrusted to us, and, and we're, we're more focused on being ungrateful for what he hasn't, think about what that says to the Lord. Think about that indictment on the Lord. And so Paul's like, away from these dark actions, these dark hearts of sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, these things must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. 
But he goes on, it's not just a matter of dark actions. He says, uh, uh, get away from this darkness. Let there be no sound of dark talk. No sound of dark talk. Look at what he says in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be, let there be what? Let there be thanksgiving. And so it's not just a matter of uh, actions. Fleeing darkness isn't just a matter of what we do. Fleeing darkness is also a matter of what we say. Uh, Jesus taught us that if we want a mirror to our heart, what should we look at if we want a mirror to our heart? Our mouth. What we're saying. And and if you read this, that there would be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, how many of you could say convicting, right? That if if I really want to see the state of my heart, all I need to do is look at the words or listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. Oh, this is convicting. There's no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. As I was studying this over the last couple weeks, I had to ask myself, Brock, where are you laughing at things that God's not laughing at? Where are you laughing, Brock? Where are you laughing at things that God's not laughing at? Coming out of the screens of a TV with the sitcoms you're watching. Different friends saying things. Where are we laughing at things that God's not laughing at? Where are we engaging in conversations that we don't have any business in engaging in? So away from these things, away from the dark actions, uh, no sound of dark talk. And then, who it gets even heavier for a minute. We got to heed a dark warning. We got to heed a dark warning. Look at what verse 5 says. For you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Just kind of sit in the heaviness of that for a minute. We got to heed that. Honestly, like the most comfortable thing for me to do right now as a preacher and maybe the most comfortable thing for you to do right now as a listener is for me to just kind of fast forward through that and go, yeah, you know, but, you know, patternly, not perfectly. But out of love, I just got to look at all of us. We got to heed that. Everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. There's something Paul is getting at about the heart reality of someone who is ingrained in a lifestyle of these things. And he's teaching us, he's telling us that someone who is ingrained in these things who's living lifestyles of these things, there's no way that that person's heart has been captivated by the gospel reality. 
It's just what it says. I know you might have pushback, and I know you might want to say, yeah, but, but, but we got to heed what it says. And now in the midst of that heaviness, let me offer some hope. Without showing hands, you heard me, without showing hands, who goes, man, this week I was sexually immoral. This week I was impure. This week I was covetous. What does that mean for me? Here's the part where I'll say what's become a bit of a tagline of our church. It's not perfectly, but it is patternly. It is this reality where those who truly do know Jesus can have moments and will have days where the old, uh, as my seminary professor used to call it, homardiological hangover, <laughs> sin hangover, will stick with you, will rear its ugly head, even after your redeemed state, even after you truly do know Jesus. But do you see a trajectory, a trend, a growth pattern, a progressive sanctification, not marked by these things, but marked by a growth in holiness and a growth in a love for Jesus? And so we heed this warning that if these things are the dominant patterns of our life, we got to hear what Paul has to say here. That there's no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, but praise be to Jesus Christ who has come and redeemed us and whose grace abounds even when some of that old homardiological hangover rears its ugly head in our walk with Jesus. And so no hint of dark actions, no sound of dark talk. We got to heed a dark warning in this. We got to silence dark deception. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I think what Paul means when he writes that is it's connected to everything he's been saying. He's saying anyone who comes now and says any of this dark stuff is actually light, any of this bad stuff is actually good, any of this wrong stuff is actually right, he's like, silence that. Do not listen to that. Let no one deceive you with those empty words. Practically, teenagers... When you know what's right and you know what God says and some friend comes and puts their arm around you and says, it's no big deal, just try it, it's fine. Silence that. They're deceiving you with empty words. Adults, it's not just a teenage thing, you with me? Yeah, you'll be fine. It'll all work out. Silence that. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Do not become partners with them. Silence the dark deception of anyone who comes along and says anything that God has said is bad is good. Anyone, anything that God has said is right is wrong. Silence that. Now, verse 8. 
For at one time you were what? For at one time you were what? Come on, you got to come out of the valley with me now. You got to come out of the valley with me now because this is what Paul's doing. He's taking us down into away from these things. And now he's coming out of the valley, brave heart style, to the top of the hill where the sun of the, the light of Jesus is going to shine on us. For at one time you were what? But now you are, let's go. But now you are light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Away from those things. Now the focus of the paragraph's on light. Into the light. Away from the darkness, into the light. But what is light? We got to find the fruit of light. What is the fruit of light? Look at what verse 9 says. For the fruit of light is found, and help me out with this, for the fruit of light is found in all that is what? Good and right and for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Can I give you maybe one of the most simple and yet powerful applications of this sermon? Just ask yourself this week, is this good? Is this right? Is this true? Just keep asking that. I mean, that is a powerful parenting tool from the time our little ones are little. Hey, was that right? From the time they're three, you can see them wrestling in their skin over that. Was that right? Ask yourself, is this good? Is this right? Is this true? That's the fruit of light. We're told that is the fruit of light. And if we want to walk in the light, we got to know what the fruit of light is. And the fruit of life is that which is good and that which is right and that is which is true. And we don't only need to know the fruit of light, we need to know the goal of light. What's the goal of light? We got to know the goal of light. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That is the goal of light. That we would discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.9 tells us what the goal of our life is. Do you want to know what your life's goal is? So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim or we make it our goal to what? That's, your goal. That's the goal of your life. To please him. To please him. In everything we do, to focus on pleasing him. And so the, the, the goal of light and the goal of our life is that we would discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is why it's so important that we know what God says in his word. He's given us to us what pleases him. And so the goal of light is to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. And, so, and then this, this last sub point here of into the light is this. We need to unleash the power of light. It's about unleashing the power of light. Look at what it says in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, all those things mentioned before. But instead, what are we to do? Expose them. Uh, take, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. 
but instead, expose them. That's the power of light. Light cuts through darkness. Light exposes darkness. For it is shameful even to speak of the things, I'm in verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and now he's quoting what uh, we believe to be a part of a hymn. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so we want to have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. We want to walk in the light. And part of that is just by exposing that which is dark. It's shameful even to speak of things that do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. I don't know about you, but this passage for me is a passage that I believe is to spur and to spark repentance in our heart. Where we would evaluate how am I doing walking in love? And how am I doing in walking in light? And I want to lead us just through some questions here. And, and as I put these questions on the screen, I would encourage you, snap a picture of them with your phone, or, or at least get the heart of each question down on some notes in front of you. But, but I don't want these questions just to remain rhetorical in nature. I actually want us to talk through these with someone this week. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend. Maybe these serve as some questions for your uh, breakout time and your discipleship groups. But let's not miss the power of what God has given us in his word today. Let's let it lead to action. Let's let it lead to repentance. And the first question I would ask is this. Have you been brought from darkness to light by believing in Jesus? Are you in the room today and can you confidently say, I know that I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have put my faith in him. I have believed in him to save me from my sins. That's the most important question you have to answer. You can't get to question two, three, and four until you know that you know the answer to question one. That the good news message is that a holy God has sent his son who died in your place. And the Bible tells you that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you have eternal life. Have you crossed over from darkness to life and believed in Jesus? The second question, where does the command to walk in love convict you most right now? None of us in the room have arrived in that. And when we think we have, God gives us the grace of getting cut in a concession line at a Dude Perfect show. Where God gives us the grace of being confronted with our lapses in love, where does the command to walk in love convict you most right now? Three, uh, what needs to be brought to light so Christ can fill you with the joy of shining on you? 
Remember what that part of that hymn said, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the purpose of your repentance and you dragging it to light, it's not to shame you, it's so that you can know the joy of Christ shining on you. And I know there's many of us in this room who've been so scared to drag something to the light, and yet you're sitting here today experiencing the blessed fruit of having Christ shine on you, of that sin being exposed and how God has blessed because of that. It, it didn't mean that there wasn't some hard days in the midst of it. And for those of us in this room convicted by the Holy Spirit right now who know we got to bring some things to the light, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be some hard days ahead for you. But I'm confident of this. When we do, the end game will be the joy of Jesus Christ shining on us. Where do you need to bring some things to the light? And then this last one, where are you just rejoicing and how the love of Christ and the light of Christ has transformed you? Where are you just rejoicing in that? Where are you saying, yeah, I, that, man, there's some convicting things from this passage. And, and I know the, the pain at times or the sin hangover that comes back, but I'll tell you one thing, I am not who I was before I met Jesus. It's okay to rejoice in that. I'm just saying, I am not who I was before I met Jesus. Where are you rejoicing? And how his love and how his light has transformed you.